Before I welcome on yet another amazing guest of the Live Inspired podcast, I want to celebrate with you what an incredible year 2020 will be. I've whispered about it on social media. If you've heard me recently speak at a live speaking event, I've made a few mentions to it there, and I've even shared a little bit of it on a Monday moment back in December. Well, my newest book, In Awe, hits bookshelves in May 2020. As you know, I wrote this book with my four kids in mind. These little ones have so much joy for the day and so much optimism for life. They have inspired me to recapture and harness my childlike senses of wonder in order to become more engaged, more successful, and more fulfilled in life. And in this world of negative news cycles, loneliness as an epidemic, and the chronic struggle of doing more and more and more with less and less and less, my new book, In Awe, will provide you the tools to help rediscover the childlike qualities of wonder, of curiosity, of openness, of belonging, and of freedom that will free you, that will permit you to live life more fully, more playfully, and more joyfully. As we dive into this new year, there is no better time than now to pre-order a copy of In Awe. It will remind you of what we once so freely enjoyed and how returning to it will positively transform our communities, our organizations, and our families. My friends, for a limited time, I'm including an interactive In Awe playbook with all pre-orders. This In Awe playbook will provide you hours of activities, giving you the opportunity to start implementing some of the lessons taught in the book as you joyfully await its arrival in May of 2020. So my friends, I want you today, before we go into this episode, to visit me at readinawe.com and pre-order your copy of the book. I believe it's the kind of book that's going to begin a movement reminding us that life is not always easy, but it is good, and the best is yet to come. So again, visit me, readinawe.com. And now, on to today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. I am so excited today to bring you a guest who will absolutely inspire you to imagine that there still remains more possible in your life. She is a self-made businesswoman. This woman is a television producer, five-time New York Times bestselling author. Her name is Bethany Frankel name probably sounds familiar to the vast majority of you. And for those who don't yet know it, you're about to. Bethany is always ahead of the curve and identifies and capitalizes on business opportunities. She's been named one of the top 100 most powerful celebrities by Forbes magazine. Bethany is the founder and the CEO of Skinny Girl. It's a lifestyle brand offering practical solutions to everyday problems, including cocktails, clothing, food, and so much more. She's been seen as a guest shark on ABC's critically acclaimed series, Shark Tank. She was on The Apprentice, and then she spent 11 years on the hugely popular Bravo series, 
The Real Housewives of New York. Finally, she left that show to spend additional time, more focused time with her daughter on her philanthropy and with her television production partnership with Mark Burnett himself. My friends, her philanthropy is called Be Strong Disaster Relief. They collect aid and they collect donations from around the United States and around the world to help individuals and their families who have been affected by recent natural disasters. In Puerto Rico alone, she raised $1.25 million in cash cards. She collected more than $20 million worth of disaster relief to distribute, and then she marshaled more than $10 million pounds of supplies, making her efforts one of the largest privately run humanitarian efforts in the United States history. Bethany's electric energy is absolutely contagious. She is taking this call after dropping her child off at school on her way to an airport. You are going to leave this conversation on fire. She's going to challenge you, my friends, to ask yourself, what more can I do? She is an achiever. She's an overcomer. She's made mistakes. She's owned up to them. And she's here today to share with you a bit of her story. My friends, I encourage you right now to buckle up, get ready for the ride as we bring on our newest friend. Her name is Bethany Frankel. Bethany, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you so much for having me. As you just heard, I'm a huge fan. So take us back, though, before the strong efforts and the role on Shark Tank and before Skinny Girl and the Real Housewives, you apparently were a child at some point. So talk about your childhood, what you learned from those experiences, some of them very turbulent. I grew up going to multiple different schools. I really never lived in the same place for longer than a year. I spent a lot of time at the racetrack as the daughter of a racehorse trainer, multiple marriages. And um, I guess I was always sort of just a survivor. I was an only child. And so I sort of just always kind of was an analytical person who just navigated getting from, you know, one place to the next. I was pretty, pretty positive, pretty confident. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always curious, if you grow up affluent, do you know you're affluent? If you grow up poor, do you know you're poor? So the question to you, Bethany, is if you grow up at the racetracks, do you realize that this is an unusual upbringing? No, it was a lot of action. And I think we, I thought we were affluent, but we actually weren't. We were. It was highs and lows. We'd have nothing in the house and just a card table to eat off of. And then, you know, months later, we'd have multiple cars in the driveway. It was very, very highs and lows. Not just because of the racetrack, because of the types of people that the racetrack attracts, because it's gambling, because it's bookies, and just a lot of craziness and a lot of action in my household. A lot of a lot of highs and lows and moving, and just like the racetrack, just right. action. And at the track, there are complete degenerates that just gamble and drink all day, and then there are Saudi shakes mm. who own the horses. So it's a, it's a lot of highs and lows, which is definitely my life. That was actually my next question. How do you think growing up around the horses and the highs and the lows that come with that track prepared you, like pour the foundation for the career that you would eventually move toward? I think I've always been a bit street and I've always been a hustler and I've always been witnessing the fact that, you know, coming in second place, even by a nose, doesn't, mm. doesn't count, which ironically later... I came in second place in The Apprentice and it was the best thing and it totally counted. But just that second really doesn't count. Nobody remembers the person who came in second in the Kentucky Derby, even if it was by a hair. So just to win and don't complain, don't explain and go get it and get to the finish line. And just a lot of math, a lot of gambling, a lot of different kind of characters, a lot of different kind of people. 
a lot of humor, a lot of stories, just colorful characters mm. the racetrack. When you were growing up and through high school, what, what did you imagine doing as an adult professionally? I used to think about acting. I would I wanted to be an actress since being a small child, but I didn't really have anybody who could help me. And I didn't have any access or way to get driven to any interviews or someone to take pictures. So I sort of just thought about it. Um, I didn't really think a lot about what I wanted to do with my life. It's a different time now with shows like Shark Tank and everybody being an entrepreneur where everybody has that hunger and drive. I just always have been driven person, but it doesn't mean that I was driven if it was working at a bakery or if it was bake sale or whatever, you know, whatever it was, a lemonade. So I always was competitive and a winner, but I, do, I didn't have any great goals. I thought I was destined for something wonderful, but I certainly didn't know what it was. I, I wanted to get married too, not in some sort of housewife, picket fence, have kids kind of way. Mm. I just wanted to find a partner because I didn't really have a family. But I've still to this day, I don't make a lot of grand big plans. I kind of am playing chess so I can see the whole board. And I also am looking at the pieces so I understand what my next move is. But I'm also just, I have a, it's like a, the type of brain that is able to see the next five moves. So I can't say I'm not thinking of the future, but I'm not really planning for it. I just sort of know what it is because I'm going to sort of, I'm going to make it happen. So I just am a very big picture, long term thinker when I move the pieces. In an interview I, I listened to with you, of course, being interviewed, I heard someone ask you, hey, what was it like for you to get on to The Apprentice? And you immediately look back and you said, you know, I didn't get on The Apprentice. I fought to be on The Apprentice. Yeah. Tell me about that. Why, why does that matter? Why does, why does even that degree of being on the show matter? Everybody acts like they were plucked from obscurity and just ended up there when it's not true. Everybody had to sign 50-page documents and go through psychological testing and being sequestered and emotional testing and going through being from thousands of people to hundreds of people to teens of people and I did it twice through that process because the first time I was the alternate that they picked mm -hmm. and yeah fought to get on went back for the second time and kept in touch with the producers and wanted it was wanted it was ready for it was like it was my life I was so excited to do it and I now I'm partners in Mark Burnett so it's interesting I, I that I was then just a peon in his whole beginning of his stratosphere so not not knowing yet what you were fighting for looking back on it what, what was the big goal why did you want to be on The Apprentice so so badly I like competition and I like, I like that it sounded like a scavenger hunt and with them competing on lemonade stands. And I, I was like, I could do that. I like the idea of being on television. I was a natural food chef. I like the idea of the platform for my uh, healthy baked goods. And I wanted the job and I needed the money. I wanted the salary, but I just liked the whole thing. It was like, oh, I could do that. You know, it was just like, get me on there. You mentioned earlier that I finished second. What was it like finishing second? Well, I won that final task and there was some sort of scandal that's not irrelevant now, but I won, won the final task. And so it appeared that I was supposed to have won the whole thing, but relevant to that, I was gutted mm. because I, 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 that was going to be a, a salary and a, like a guaranteed place somewhere. And I thought I was going to democratize health the way that Martha had democratized style. So I, I thought it was also like a real job and a real opportunity. I was very naive. I thought that television in that capacity was about business and like The Apprentice was all about business when it was not. It was about character and personality and competition. And I thought that, you know, Martha really wanted that person for that job. So I was pretty naive to not realize that like that all wasn't what that was. Mm. So later I realized that, you know, TV is a great vehicle and it is great to be smart to be a business person, but ultimately still a television show, no matter what, no matter what television show, it's still a show. A show's goal is to entertain and, and compel and draw people in.
will entertain, compel, draw people in is what you do in 08 when you join a fairly little-known reality television show called Real Housewives. Right. Talk about that. I was reluctant to do it. I turned it down multiple times. They pursued me for uh, a while, and I, I thought to myself, after I had turned it down, it was a month later, I kept checking back in with them, just curious. I'm like that. I just like, wait, what am I missing out on? Mm-hmm. And I said, sort of at the last possible time, because... They were not going to make the show if there weren't five wives. They could not find the fifth wife. And this wasn't a proven concept yet, so it didn't matter if they didn't do the show. It was just like a test pilot, a test show. And the production company said we're fine with four women, and Bravo was not fine with four women. And at the same time, Andy Cohen didn't want me because I was already on a television show, and at that time they didn't put actresses on Bravo in in reality television shows. They wanted people that were new. They didn't put people with previous reality show experience. So at that time, that was like an, it was bad for me that I had been on The Apprentice, but I really didn't want to do it. At the last minute, I said, you know what? It's not that easy to get on television. And if it fails, it fails and no one will see it. And if it succeeds, then it will be amazing and it could be an amazing platform. So I uh, decided at the last minute to try it. You tried. In the original experience, you're selling lemonade, as you said. Now you're sharing life. What is it like to go through the ups and downs of life with a camera in your face being not only viewed, but being judged by the audience? Well, I initially was going on to just be myself. It was called Manhattan Moms, and it was women who wanted to get their kids into school, and I was the alternate question mark character, and I was just an actual food chef. So my goal was to go on and just be cooking and showing everybody that I was an actual food chef. But I quickly realized that the show was interested in my personal life and what was going on with it. And I just decided very early on in the process, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to give this audience that hopefully will tune in what they've paid for and reveal myself and be vulnerable and open and be honest. And I was the only one not buying diamonds and furs and houses. I was in a studio apartment that was furnished by Ikea. I was broke. I had no partner. I had no kid. I had no real career. And so I just went with it. They would never put somebody at that financial level that I was at then, but that happened then and it ended up being great. Whether they liked me or not, they they believed me. They certainly did believe you. And and through this comes this inception of something called Skinny Girl. What was the idea behind Skinny Girl? Just to have a cocktail that people could trust and not feel terrible about the next day. What are the lessons that you've learned along bringing this idea, this drink that you imagined having into a brand that is worldwide? That success is really about hard work and being relentless about it and passion and determination and drive and sorry, but 95% of the people don't have it. So if you're part of that 5%, go all the way because I just see it all the time. I just, people aren't on the stick all the time. People aren't like thinking about it, living and breathing it, staying on top of it, getting it done, moving it through, being defeated and just like brushing yourself off and like figuring it out. I'm just, you have to be a survivor and you have to just work your ass off for that. It's just not coming any other way. It's just not. You work your tail off, not only for your organization, but also for those in the community that that are desperate for it. I want you to talk a little bit about Be Strong and and the work specifically you did with Puerto Rico. Um, Well, we're in Australia now, and we are still in the Bahamas now, and we've been in Guatemala, and we've been in Texas, and Mexico, and North Carolina, and California wildfires, the Amazon, San Francisco. Now we're back in Puerto Rico again because we stay and support the communities in every area from animals to elderly to hospitals 
to people in shelters, to people that have no homes or are trying to rebuild their homes. We've sent millions and millions of dollars and millions of actual cash cards into communities to give them dignity to purchase what they need and to rebuild. And we've sent millions and millions of pounds of aid from diapers and formula to actual roofs and generators and saws and lumber and materials. We're really a full, full service relief organization that cuts through the red tape to get the aid directly to people. It's not, you have to have good relationships. You have to really have that sort of relentless nature that I have because everybody says no. The beginning of the Bahamas Mm -hmm. disaster, the government didn't want us to fly in as early as we did because they were worried that we would report back and tell everybody how bad it was. We were on the ground in Puerto Rico in the first 36 hours. We were on the ground in the Bahamas while the hurricane was still going on. So we just find our way in, which is how you have to be in business. So it's something I'm familiar with. And with philanthropy, I have good partners. My partner's Global Empowerment Mission and they're very like-minded and I'm very good at messaging, meaning crystallizing for people so they understand what we do and they can make an educated decision when donating. I think we're in a time right now in society where people post something on social media and tell people to donate somewhere else, but they're not personally in control of where that money's going. So you're telling somebody to donate to somebody else, but you on the ground in that organization, do you, do you know how much money they're spending on the actual relief? Because I'm spending, I'm 100% is going to the relief. So I feel that you got to hold people's hands and tell them along the way exactly where their money's going. So it makes them feel empowered and it makes them feel that they're investing. And I right. just feel that that's been a big problem because I've seen stealing, I've seen lying, I've seen it all. We've seen the warehouses that are filled with aid years later. I've seen governments want to cover things up. I've seen politicians want to keep aid and distribute it themselves so they look like they're big timers. I've seen people totally defraud people through aid. I cannot do this unless I personally oversee the distribution of money and aid until every bit is gone. You cannot just give it to somebody else. And then you hear stories of the big organizations that they take 60, 70%. I mean, it's a real, real number. And those big organizations have called me to have me help them and me take people on planes to Puerto Rico to distribute aid versus them dealing with themselves. So we are nimble. We all sit back and watch the the fires in Australia, the earthquakes, the storms, the hurricanes, and look at the television, look at the screen and think, gosh, that's terrible. Bethany, what is it about your past and your your sense of self and sense of dedication to others that allows you to get off the couch and into the fight? Why why do you move toward the tragedies rather than just yawn and and turn the television back off? Well, I initially moved towards it because I'd started an initiative called Be Strong, which was to help women and their families in crisis. We give money to a certain number of women and, and life coaching and legal aid and financial aid. It just wasn't dire enough in the moment for me. And I just was watching the footage from Hurricane Harvey and felt that I wasn't, you know, right in there being able to help. Right. So I was nervous and I I raised over $350,000 in a couple of days and donations and in kind and wasn't yet trusted. Didn't people didn't know, you know, who I was in this capacity. But I think that I got money because I was a business person, but nobody, everyone said no to me. I mean, literally I was asking for rain boots Mm. from companies that said, no, now we get planes donated and millions of dollars. So just like business, you had to prove yourself. So once I did it, then I realized most people are sitting on the couch doing what you're saying. You know, everyone says my heart goes out to and (laughs) prayers go to. And prayers are great, but prayers don't put food in people's mouths specifically. And you need to follow prayer up with action. So it's about prayers and action. 
And it's also not about just putting a link and telling everybody to donate to somewhere else. Like figure out a way that you can be involved, that you understand that you can make a difference. So most people are just talking and most people aren't doing. And, and so, but we also don't blame. We don't complain. We don't, we do explain. We don't blame and complain, but we don't, start talking about the government and, oh, if our president wasn't doing this or was doing that, because I truthfully don't know very much about politics. I don't know. I know that balls have been dropped in different relief efforts. I know that, but I don't know what's being done and not being done. And what's better to go pick up a broom and help clean up, clean up a mess or complain and <laughs> look at the mess in the middle of the floor, which is what most people do. Is there a specific story? You've been boots on the ground at all, unfortunately, the, the natural disasters lately. Is there a story that comes to mind of, of being a child, a family, a disaster specifically that you're like, gosh, this one really, really, really spoke to my heart and here's why. You can't single it out. I don't think you can imagine what it's like to look at thousands of people who don't have a home. I mean, people have faith. That's the number one thing, the thread that keeps people going. And in Puerto Rico, you would see people that are holding little tiny babies and staying in their houses up to their ankles, literally ankles in mud and vermin and rats and like crawling around. And I think about my daughter and something's not downloaded on her iPad and she's disappointed. And I think about these kids, but you know, she doesn't know because she hasn't seen it. So I'll take her to see it. But just parents who just feel that they're happy because they have their babies, they're with their family. So they feel safe because they're with their family, especially with, you know, thinking about the Kobe Bryant tragedy, like just being with people that you love and things you take for granted every day, just people being alive around you. You're pretty blessed if, the people that you love are alive. You shared recently that 2020 is a year of transition for you. So what are you most looking forward to in 2020? I'm happy that I'm settled and have more of a balance. I'm able to really focus on my business instead of scrambling and doing my business while I'm not filming The Housewives. Hmm. I'm grateful to Bravo and to the platform and for the experience. And I think I did a great job there. And I also think that we were able to showcase my business and philanthropy and it's all and meet interesting people and laugh and it's all been great but it's it's a very toxic environment and it's a very unhealthy process and every single person that does the show knows that it's not good for their health and does it because it's a platform and does it because it's the nature of the beast and you make a deal with the devil and i you know i don't want to have a deal with the devil anymore i want to have a you know more relaxed healthy life to be honest when you look forward to raising your daughter, what, what's one thing you hope that you are teaching her that maybe you didn't get as much from your own parents? I'm very connected. I'm very present. I'm at her school events. I'm a pickup. I'm a drop off. <laughs> she knows exactly how madly in love with her that I am. And, and, and the feeling is mutual. We are just very, very connected. I have a very, people struggle a lot with the ups and downs of parenting and divorce and, you know, as it pertains to the kids. And I have a great connection with her. Bethany Frankel, we have seven questions that tie all of our guests together, and it begins with question number one. What is the best book you have ever read? I don't know that I have one favorite book. Oh, I love the Steve Jobs book. I liked King and Abel so many years ago. I just read not so long ago, Bright Precious Days, mm. which I liked. I thought The Power of Now was good. Awesome. The Secret I, the secret I liked. Bethany, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little girl, maybe even at the horse track, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? I would say not worrying so much, Mm. but I probably did, but I maybe not worrying so much. Awesome. If your home caught fire and all living things are out, your animals, your beautiful daughter, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one item you would grab? Just one thing. Well... 
it would be a tray of watches. Tell me about that. Well, I'm a watch collector and they all have different stories because I was just thinking there's stuff that my boyfriend has bought me because pictures are on our phone. So if yeah. you're saying we have our phone, you know what I mean? So I'm not thinking about art. So the watches have different different memories of different times in my life. So I can't get everything out of the house. I have my pictures. I think, um, I'm trying to think of what my daughter would, would want. But yeah, I think maybe a tray of watches. Terrible thought. No, that's cool. It's a storyline of your life, for the better and for worse. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. Have you met Mark before? No. What would be your first question for Mark? How did you have the balls at that young age to turn down a billion dollars for your brand? And <laughs> no. And what do you think Mark's answer back is? That he wasn't motivated by money, that he was motivated by ideas, and he knew what he had, and he was taking a gamble and a risk. Sounds familiar, Bethany. What's the best advice you've ever received? To not buy into the love or buy into the hate. Tell me what you mean by that. If people hate you, don't get all worked up about it and upset about it, but then don't be thinking you're so great if everybody loves you. Awesome. And there are just two questions left for Bethany Frankel. Bethany, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I would have to find a way to make that 20-year-old self understand it, but to like absolutely not worry at all about relationships and just have fun. Bethany Frankel, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I only sweat the small stuff. <laughs> Bethany Frankel only sweats the small stuff. Bethany, I want to thank you for making time out of your crazy busy schedule to be with us on the Oh, Inspire. no problem. Thank you so much. Likewise. Well, my friends, I don't know what you do in the 24 hours that you have in your day, but I bet you're not doing quite as much as Bethany is doing with her time. This is a lady who wears many, many, many hats. And yet, if you listen to that interview with some closeness, you would have recognized what she's most proud of, what she's most grateful for is the opportunity to raise her daughter, to take advantage of the little things, to savor the blessings of her life, and then to recognize the calling to do more with what she has. If you want to learn more about her story or more about how we can make a difference together through her cause, Be Strong, I encourage you right now to let your fingers do the dialing. Cruise over to johnolearyinspires.com. Visit us in the show notes. I'm going to have a link to her charity. We're going to try together to make a larger difference as a family. We recognize that for those who have received much, we are called to make an even greater difference with the gifts that we do have and I would encourage you and challenge you today not only to see the tragedies unfold on the screen in front of you in life, but also to recognize your opportunity to step forward to become part of the solution. Bethany is an awesome example of someone doing it, and I think we can do a phenomenal job supporting her along the journey. So join us at johnolearyinspires.com. Check out the podcast link, go to the show notes, and we can learn more together about Be Strong. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our community. The tragedies this week, not only in Australia with the fires around the world, natural disasters, crisis of sickness, airborne, traveling around the world, the loss of Kobe Bryant early this week reminds us that life is fragile. And yet it also reminds us that there are many men and women doing amazing things, not running away from the tragedies, but moving directly toward them, not complaining about what's wrong, but trying to make things even better. I want to thank you for being that kind of person. I want to thank you for being part of our family on Live Inspired. And I want to thank you for believing like I do, 
that the best days are yet to come. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary asking the question, what more can I do? And this is your day, my friends. Live inspired. Well, thanks for joining me on today's Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. If you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, make sure that you rate and review us. It really does help to spread the word and it ensures that people can more easily find our podcast. We are available for free. That's good news at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else that you are streaming your audio. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information on what you've heard today and how to apply it in your life. We've got a lot of awesome episodes lined up for you in the next couple weeks, and I'll be looking forward to welcoming you back next time. My friends, today is your day. Live inspired.